discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with triumph crown. Let the lands that sit in darkness Welcome to the War Room. I'm your host, Bill Evans, and I have Matthew Marquard. Matthew was raised in northern Alabama from a military law enforcement family. He married his high school sweetheart, Amberly. Um, he was converted at age 16, commissioned in the Marine Corps in 2003, and discharged at the rank of captain. He has worked a good bit of his life as a defense contractor, uh, and he also was a logistics coordinator um, for Southern Baptist Convention in Mali, uh, back when they were having their civil war. Uh, he's, they've been married for 14 years. They have two girls, two boys, and two children with the Lord. Welcome to the War Room, Matthew. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate you having me. Now, unless uh, our listeners are asleep, they should know that the United States government is not the solution or the problem. Uh, they know that, that Islam is evil and corrupt, and they certainly know that man is evil and corrupt. So whether or not Folks, y'all believe that FEMA camps actually exist and or that there's a plot to disarm the American people and reduce us to servitude. You know that we live in a fallen world where we may be confronted by evil and our disasters of many kinds without warning. Now, whether that be a, a mugger in a parking lot, a home invasion by street thugs, martial law, or Islamic jihad, it could be the failure of an electrical grid or flood, tornado, earthquake, or ice storm. But in any event, your family and your future posterity, therefore, depends on you as the head of a household or leadership within a congregation to be wise and thus to be prepared. And uh, only by doing that do you enhance your family's prospects for survival. So... Let's get a few things straight. America's under divine judgment. We ought to all know that. And judgment generally means catastrophe. And with catastrophe, there's loss of life. So the question we want to pose tonight is, are you self-consciously living in such a way so as to ensure that your family will survive in times of trouble, whether it's trouble today or the big end of life as we know it? And if you are not, why not? So Matthew... What do you have to say about it? You're absolutely right, Bill. It's um, you know the issue behind preparedness is ultimately one of stewardship, and with stewardship, really, what we're talking about is um, being covenantally faithful um, to the calling that God has uh, has put on our lives, whether that is as an individual, um, in a family, uh, within our our, our congregations, uh, or even just as members of society in general. Um, all of us are called to covenant faithfulness. If we belong to Christ, we are his bondservants, um, and we are called to act and live according to his law and word. Um, and so, and, and the, the other aspect of all of this, um, as you pointed out, you know, a lot of times people get, um, I, I've seen a lot of people fearful or concerned about, um, you know, this particular threat or that particular um, issue. And all, of, you know, many of those things may, may be valid. I believe that many of them are. Um, there's, there's no doubt, as you said, that um, we live in a fallen world. At the end of the day, 
um, God is the governor of history, and he does so in accordance with his covenants. And so um, if we understand, um, and we do understand if we're Christians, we have the Holy Spirit and we have the scriptures, we recognize what faithfulness looks like on an individual level and on a national level. And when we see um, national scale covenant breaking, the scriptures are clear throughout Old and New, New Testament um, that national scale covenant breaking um, can expect nothing but national scale judgment. And uh, the fact that it hasn't, you know, perhaps happened in a more extreme manner in this country already um, is, is only evidence of the patience and, and long suffering of God. But to, to presume upon that um, is folly. Well, Matthew, so we're, we not, to- we're not planning to catch the rapture bus, so what should we do? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> um, that's right. So we, we, need, we need to be prepared in the ways in which God is, has, uh, has given us to do. Um, you know, I, I wanted to read something to you, Bill, at the outset. You know, you, you mentioned at the beginning, I'm a, a, a former Marine, former active duty Marine. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, as we were considering this question, there's a great little essay. Um, if, if you and your listeners would, uh, would pardon me for a couple minutes, By all means. Uh, I'd, I'd love to read this and, and just kind of let this, uh, let this soak in because at the end of the day, it's written by a, uh, a fellow Marine officer as well. And so it's really good. If any of your listeners want to look it up, um, it's called the gun is civilization. The gun is civilization by major, uh, I'm not sure the first name, Caudill USMC retired. And, uh, he says this human beings only have two ways to deal with one another, reason and force. If you want me to do something for you, you have a choice of either convincing me via argument or force me to do your bidding under threat of force. Every human interaction falls into one of these two categories, without exception, reason or force. That's it. In a truly moral and civilized society, people exclusively interact through persuasion. Force has no place as a valid method of social interaction. And the only thing that removes force from the menu is the personal firearm, as paradoxical as it may sound to some. So when I carry a gun, you cannot deal with me by force. You have to use reason and try to persuade me, because I have a way to negate your threat or employment of force. The gun is the only personal weapon that puts a 100-pound woman on equal footing with a 220-pound mugger, a 75-year-old retiree on equal footing with a 19-year-old gangbanger and a single guy on equal footing with a carload of drunk guys with baseball bats. The gun removes the disparity in physical strength, size, or numbers between a potential attacker and a defender. There are plenty of people who consider the gun as the source of bad force equations. These are the people who think that we'd be more civilized if all guns were removed from society because a firearm makes it easier for an armed mugger to do his job. That, of course, is only true if the mugger's potential victims are mostly disarmed, either by choice or by legislative fiat. It has no validity when most of a mugger's potential marks are armed. People who argue for the banning of arms ask for automatic rule by the young, the strong, and the many, and that's the exact opposite of a civilized society. 
a mugger, even an armed one, can only make a successful living in a society where the state has granted him a force monopoly. Then there's the argument that the gun makes confrontations lethal that otherwise would only result in injury. This argument is fallacious in several ways. Without guns involved, confrontations are won by the physically superior party inflicting overwhelming injury on the loser. People who think that fists, bats, sticks, or stones don't constitute lethal force watch too much TV where people take beatings and come out of it with a bloody lip at worst. The fact that the gun makes lethal force easier works solely in favor of the weaker defender, not the stronger attacker. If both are armed, the field is level. The gun is the only weapon that's as lethal in the hands of an octogenarian as it is in the hands of a weightlifter. It simply wouldn't work as well as a force equalizer if it wasn't both lethal and easily employable. So when I carry a gun, I don't do so because I'm looking for a fight, but because I'm looking to be left alone. The gun at my side means that I cannot be forced, only persuaded. I don't carry it because I'm afraid, but because it enables me to be unafraid. It doesn't limit the actions of those who would interact with me through reason, only the actions of those who would do so by force. It removes force from the equation, and that's why carrying a gun is a civilized act. Amen. You know, it's amazing to me that many Christian men wouldn't hesitate to say, well, you know, you should flee from youthful lusts. That, that's that's what we're commanded to do. Uh, but we're also commanded to provide for the needs of our family and to protect life, be it our life, our family's life, or our neighbor's life in an extreme situation and, and in fulfillment of the positive obligations of the Sixth Commandment. If, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, we're told in First Timothy that he's worse than an unbeliever. That's so, right. I, so I would submit, and I think you would agree, that there obviously there are many Christian households where there are no firearms. And, and by the way, we don't own any assault weapons, do we, Matthew? I, I do not. I've never, I've never even seen an assault weapon. Uh, at the end of the day, because you know, it's like we say, it's it's not about uh, it's not about aggression. It's about equalizing the playing field. Exactly. So so a hammer enables you to overcome the force of the wood you're trying to put the nail into. Uh, so there's no such thing as an assault hammer or an assault rock any right. more than there's an assault rifle. They're defensive tools uh, and, 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 and they're force equalizers. It, it, is, it is a tool for which there is a specific application. And for that particular application, there is simply no better tool. Matthew, why do you suppose that in the evangelical community at large, and maybe even some in the Reformed and even Reconstructionist community, that so many homes, they don't have any firearms, much less, you know, let's say a handgun for protecting the family when you're on a trip in, strange, in a strange area, maybe traveling through a city you're unfamiliar uh, or uh, maybe a shotgun against a home invasion, or, or in a worst case scenario, we're we have we're facing again an in, an end of life as we know it, um, a rifle to protect freedom. Why do you suppose uh, there are more people have just 
you know, they say, well, I wasn't raised with guns or my daddy didn't shoot or I shot, I hunted when I was a kid, but no, I've never taught my, my sons to shoot. No, no, I've never, I don't own a gun. I don't think, you know, and they, and they slough that off when they're commanded to be uh, trained and equipped to protect their family when they wouldn't dare slough off a command to flee youthful lusts. Right. Yeah, I would say there's there's probably a perfect storm of things that contribute to this uh, sort of apathy amongst the Christian community, especially in the West, in, in regards to this. Um, one of them is the complacency that is that has been bred by what I would what I would say are statist presuppositions. Um, and, and what I mean by that is is the assumption, the presupposition that most of us have um, that uh, you know the state uh, in whatever you know however you want to uh, specifically define you know the, the agents of the state are what what provides the uh, you know the security and, and stability of society. Um, and so you know it's it's taken as a given that when there's a problem in society, well then there must be, some solution that has to come from the state. Um, the problem with that is that it's not in the Bible. Uh, and for Christians, um, at least we're, you know, ostensibly we're supposed to be taking our cues from the sacred scriptures. Um, the, the bottom line is that the, the, the civil magistrate is not given the authority or the duty to proactively protect us. Um, it, it is. It exists as, a, as an arm of God, the deacon of God, as Romans 13 calls him, uh, for the punishment of the wicked. But that's a retroactive um, act, um, and it, it's it's not a proactive act, right? And so it's it's not the government's job, it's not the state's job, it's not the police's job, it's not anybody's job to protect me, um, except me under the sovereign hand of God. Um, and that, and that's the case, whether it's me as an individual or my family, uh, or, you know, my neighbor who I see in trouble or whatever the case may be. Um, the other aspect of this, I think that, that causes a lot of apathy um, amongst Christians is, uh, you know, the basic aspect that that these kinds of things, Bill, you know, they're not gospel issues. Um, you know, we're just supposed to preach the gospel. We're just supposed to, you know, disciple people and, um, you know, help people become better followers of Jesus. Nobody ever says that and, when they're organizing the uh, church little league team, do they? Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but you know, again, the, and a lot of that is um, really the the bad fruit of um, you know this this sort of sacred secular divide that comes out of a lot of the you know the, the radical two kingdoms. Uh, stuff, the New Covenant theology, you know, uh, even, you know, I dare say, you know, amillennialism really tends uh, toward this as well. All of these different kinds of um, ideas, while they are different from each other, and probably anybody who subscribes to any of those camps would, you know, you know, hate to have them conglomerated that way. But at the end of the day, um, you know, Gnosticism has always been um, a, a bane of the church and its and its mission in the world. This idea that what God cares about is somehow spiritual and ethereal, and um, you know, just He just wants you know He just wants my heart, and He just wants me to be you know less covetous and less lustful, and you know more caring and 
all these kinds of things. And, and I'm not negating any of those. Those things are of utmost importance. Um, but what we have tended to do is to remove um, from from the, the worldview of or our definition of what the gospel is and what the mission of the church is, the Christians are in the world, what we've done is removed um, these issues of, you know, actual interaction with society, being salt and light in the culture, well, you whether know, it's in economics or law or anything else. And in particular, as we were talking about tonight, the issue of security and defense and protection. And so we remove these things. We take them off the table and say, God's not concerned with that stuff. He just, you know, he's just concerned with your heart and, you know, whether you get saved and go to heaven or not. Well, we do. I mean, Christians do take seriously First Timothy 5, 8, when it comes to making sure that there's food in the cupboard and there's a life insurance policy or the kids are safely in their car seats. Why sure. don't they extend that to being prepared or, or providing for the needs of their family? for safety in a fallen, evil, dangerous world. It's schizophrenic, Bill. You know, I wish I wish I could give you a better uh, a better answer for it. I mean, f- fundamentally it it uh you know, you you can't get that kind of um, you know, non-interaction with with uh, society and the world around you uh from the pages of scripture. So if a person says, "Well, we're just going to trust God to keep us safe when we're on the road," Well, that means you don't have to air up the, your tires to the proper uh, pressure. Uh, right. Don't buckle kids. Don't put gas in the tank. Don't check the oil. Yeah, well, while we're at it, let's just trust God for groceries. I don't need to work, right? I mean, right. In, in a, it, you're right. It's schizophrenic. I, you know, Psalm 37, and of course, one of my favorite little taglines, I love to say, orthoproxy or orthodoxy without orthoproxy is dead. You know, just as faith without works Amen. is dead, orthodoxy without orthoproxy is dead. And I see both of these in Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. That's right. You trust in the Lord and you do good. That's right. And and, and that basically means you're, you're dealing with, I call them the two Ps, providence and preparedness. God will not do your job and you can't do his job. And so isn't it really you know, sort of testing the Lord? Aren't we? And, and, and we're told not to put the, the Lord our God to the test. Isn't it really sort of being presumptuous to go through life knowing the, the nature of man and knowing that we're a nation under judgment and hence bad times are coming, the storm clouds are on the rise. And Jesus talks about being able to, you, you, like the term, you use the term men of, Ish, of Ishkar, right? Right. Uh, who, what, uh, discern yeah. the times? That's right. The scripture says that they discerned the times uh, and knew what Israel ought to do. Um, and, and that's the thing. You know, what, what, what gets me is that we are Christians. We have, we have a book written to us by the, by the sovereign Lord of the universe. You know, the one who holds all things together, the one who is the king of kings, the one who declares the end from the beginning, you know, the one who brings all of his counsels to pass. Um, we, we have this word written to us from him. And he says to us that he, he governs the affairs of men. He governs history and that he does so according to his covenant. You know, you read Deuteronomy 28 and I, you know, I'd encourage anyone to look at Deuteronomy 28. And in the first, I think it's 15 verses of Deuteronomy 28 describe uh, what a faithful nation looks like 
and what the uh, what the blessings of God will be on that nation. And then the remainder, the lion's share of Deuteronomy 28, discusses what an unfaithful nation in rebellion to God's law looks like and what his judgments will be upon that nation. And you ask yourself, and, and this is what really elevates this issue for me beyond just the, you know, on the one hand, there's the principle. Uh, the principles we derive from Scripture about self-defense and or you know protection of the innocent, um, these types of things, family, neighbor, what ha- what have you. Um, that's the principle. But principles are applied in a context, and the context is the particular you know portion of history in which we live, that God has given us to live in. And when you look at the you know for those of us who are um, you know, living in North America or even, you know, even in, in Western Europe, I'm sure, you know, when you look at Deuteronomy 28 and you ask yourself the question, does the context and the society in which I live look more like the faithful nation enjoying the blessings of the first 15 verses or the unfaithful nation, uh, you know, languishing under the curses of the second, uh, the remainder of the chapter? And so that's the context in which we live. I don't think anyone can look at that and say, well, yeah, you know, we, everything's going great. You know, we're faithfully following the Lord. And you look at, you know, the fundamental facts. I know, you know, you had Russell Hunter on, uh, you know, on the interview a few weeks ago. I mean, the, the land is soaked with, with the blood of the innocent. You know, if God is just, like Jefferson said, you know, I, I fear for my country when I consider that God is just. If God is just, how long do we think that he will withhold his hand, you know, in patience for, for the blood that defiles the land uh, in this country? Um, and, and that's on that particular issue of the, of the slaughter of the preborn. You know, you carry that to, you know, unjust weights and measures in our economic policies, um, you know, the, the, the cheating out of future generations from the inheritance um, that's that's lawfully theirs. Uh, you, you know, you, you carry it out to a, you know, a thousand applications of our rebellion against the law of God, and the reality is, um, you know, if you believe the Bible, I don't see how anyone could come to the conclusion, any other conclusion, than that, as you have said, you know, to me before, we have a date with judgment, um, and as you said in your opening, uh, judgment means difficulty. And difficulty means violence, especially in a, in a land uh, where the people have become lawless, you know, um, where, where the restraint of, um, you know, of, of, of godly morality upon the people has largely been, uh, you know, trampled underfoot and thrown out the window, if you will. You know, Proverbs 22.3 says, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge. Right. But, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. It yeah, says and, in, just, and just for punch, he, he repeats that same verse in another proverb as well. <laughs> yeah, and then he also, in Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen, he who works his land will have abundant food. That means a person who works and who prepares. The one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty, Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen, And I could see, you know, saying, hey, if you don't think that hard times are coming, you are, you're, you're living in a dreamland. You're chasing fantasies. And, 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 and so... We, I, I would even go so far as to say, and this might sound dogmatic, 
But I would say to the churches where elders have forbidden, or it's an unwritten law that there shouldn't be any guns there. A, a business says you can't, where people can't uh, carry guns. Uh, a home that does not have the means, uh, a head of household who does not have the means to protect his family against evil is is wicked himself. It's sinful. Just like compromise in the face of evil is evil. One of my favorite non-Christian post-millennialists is Edmund Burke, who says the only thing necessary for bad men to succeed is for good men to do nothing. And if you're and if you're unarmed, what can you do? Right. Based on your based on your essay. You know, I, I listen, for my part, I know that God wants me to have guns because he gave me a trigger finger. <laughs> That's right. And and a backup. So, so, but we, we know that owning a gun does not make you a shooter or make you competent to defend yourself any more than owning a surfboard makes you a surfer. Yeah, that's right. And, and that really gets into the, the practicalities of this, you know, um, at, at the end of the day, this is not, you know, it's not about gun ownership. Um, and, and I, I agree with you. I, all the points that you just that you just mentioned, uh, you know, about the sin of being unwilling or intentionally unable um, to protect yourself or protect your neighbors, um, I, I agree completely. I mean, you know, th- this is an area where I would say, you know, if 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 your if your church has taken, if your elders have taken a stand that it is, you know, that you can't carry guns in church, even you know, concealed. Um, you know, I, I would go to them and, uh, you know, sternly counsel them um, that this is an unbiblical position. And ultimately, I, you know, I would I would push it to the line and say, um, you know, you, you either tell them that you're that you're going to go not go along with this, um, you know, and, and they can you know they can kick you out of church or whatever if they want to. But it, it's not just fundamentally about you know carrying a gun. You're right, uh, five hundred bucks you know, down at Gander Mountain, you know, can put a pistol on your hip. Um, it doesn't make you able to defend yourself or defend others. And, um, you know, and, and that, that really goes into the, to the broader issue and really the more fundamental one of how do we apply this? And, and it begins with, first of all, mindset. Um, you know, people need to have their convictions squared away. They need to know where they stand on, the, on these issues biblically. They need to know what the law of God says. There are many things in, in the Christian life where it's an open book test. You know, you get the question and then you can and then you can go consult the scriptures, you know, and, and come back and answer the question. Um, but on issues of, of, you know, defense like this and, and violence and whatnot. Pop um, quiz. Yeah, it's a pop quiz. You don't know when it's going to be asked. And more than likely, it, it, it may very well be pass fail. Um, you know, so you need to get your convictions about this nailed down and squared away now ahead of time. Secondarily, you need to begin to develop the mindset of awareness, not constant alert, not paranoia, but of a, of a slightly elevated, you know, above the level of apathy um, and just going along with the flow of every day. And that's the way most people tend to live every day. You know, they just go through their routine. They don't really think about very much. They don't pay much attention to the to the surroundings around them. Um, people need to raise, you know, raise from, if you will, from green to yellow, 
and kind of live there uh, and, and learn to be aware of their surroundings, learn to consider things like risks, um, learn to consider, you know, contingencies. What would I do in a given situation? You know, am I, am I paying attention to the people around me? Um, you know, those types of situations. What would I do if X happened? How would I get out of a situation if something happened? You know, Americans um, are, are so complacent because we're actually living in the afterglow of a Christian culture. That's right. Uh, it's like the residual. It's what it's, it's the inertia. Uh, in yeah. other other parts of the world, Matthew, it, it, it it's not peaceful, and, and and people don't stop at red lights and uh, and hold the doors and 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 use moderation the way they do in the United States. Too much, do they? Brother, don't I know it? Now, what's interesting to me though is that now you as a Marine officer, you know, you're held in in high esteem, and people all over the land. I mean, they see the the globe and the anchor and they see the dress blues or they see the, 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 the statue of the relief of Iwo Jima and Mount Suribachi there in Arlington. And it fills them with pride. And yet the things, all the things that they honor in the Marine heritage and in your training, all the things that make you someone that they hold up and, and have regard for, uh, it, isn't it amazing that they don't think, well, hey, I need to have those same skills in my life. I honor these, these, this preparedness, this training, this combat mentality, this readiness, this, this strength with honor, uh, and, uh, and 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 yet they they think that they can make it, it's it's per, you know you know what they're doing. They're looking for somebody else to do the heavy lifting for them. Yeah, it's it, absolutely. It's, at the end of the day, it's it's uh, laziness. You know, it's apathy. You know, the first Marines that were recruited at Tun Tavern, <laughs> you know, it's not like they had some kind of, you know, super duper high speed, low drag, you know, training, you know, before they got recruited or whatever. I mean, these were these were just salt of the earth guys that were recruited, you know, right out of the out of the, the ranks of society. Um, you know, but but you're right. Nowadays, um, you know, the idea tends to be ju- just like, you know, as I was saying earlier, with with the the general security issue, you know, people just expect that the police keep the peace and, and, you know, things just, it's, it's normalcy bias, you know, people, um, wake up and expect to, you know, expect today to be just like yesterday and figure that tomorrow will be just like today. And, um, you know, the, the simple fact is that's not necessarily the case, especially in a world that God governs. And, uh, you know, when, when he does so according to his word, and when you, like I said, when you live in a society that's in rebellion against him, um, you know, it's it's not normal biblically to think that he will continue on and allow it to, to carry on. Yeah, if, if we lived in a covenant-keeping society where we self-consciously exalted the law of God and, and pursued true religion— then perhaps it would be reasonable to expect peace and prosperity ahead of us. But when we live in a society of covenant breakers, it's sure. foolish. It's the height of foolishness to anticipate anything but chaos and meltdown. Right. Yeah, I agree. And so, you know, it speaks, I think, you know, a big part of my my desire and uh, you know, as I've had discussions with brothers in, in, in various contexts um, over the last few years, especially in re- in regards to all this, um, 
is to help guys take practical steps, you know, and, um, a lot of times, you know, what I've, what we tend to do, you know, we're a consumerist society. And so what we tend to do is just try to throw money at a problem. And you simply can't do that in this, in this regard. Um, it does require the hardware. Um, I, I, Christians should get guns. They should get, um, self-defense weapons. Um, we, you know, we can talk about specifics there, but people do, people do need to, to, you know, put that in as a budget item, put ammunition as a, in as a budget item. Um, but in addition to, and really even at a, at a higher level than all of that, we as Christians, I believe, need to develop the mindset, um, the understanding of our biblical convictions so that we ensure that we are covenant keepers, not covenant breakers in regards to this. Um, and, and that and that's that's a huge deal. It's the biggest deal. Um, we, we need to know when it is lawful to take life. We need to know when it is lawful, um, you know, what escalation of force looks like biblically. What are the principles by which we are governed? We need to, to nail those things down and understand them. Secondarily, we need to begin to develop the mindset that I was talking about of awareness, of, you know, sort of gaming out, um, you know, situations and just begin to live at a, at a slightly elevated sense of awareness. Um, and, and viewing ourselves as, you know, if I'm a father, I am the protection detail for my, for my family, you know, and, and for my neighbor, you know, or whoever's, whoever's with me. Um, and, and then so to develop that mindset and then to get the training. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I'd, I'd rather have um, – I'd rather have someone who was thoroughly trained and, and highly competent and put a subpar tool in his hand and ask him to go to work rather than um, someone who just, you know, threw a few thousand dollars at a problem and put a piece of hardware on their hip and, and you know, barely knows how to, uh, you know, clear a stoppage or, you know, fumble through a magazine change in the dark. Uh, we, we need to be... Um, you know the tools that that are available to us are um, capable of taking life, and we need to treat them with the utmost regard and professionalism and care. That too is how we love our neighbor. Um, and so, you know, in all of these things, and and those those kinds of things, um, you know, are practical steps that really everybody needs to be taking. Yeah, and and in that res- respect, you thinking these as tools are liberty's teeth but it's tools they're no different than a, a big truck like i drive or a shovel or a backhoe or a a word processor or a, a hemostat i mean these are tools that are and they're tools of dominion you right. know and i always say i like to say that we're the whole idea of being prepared and as and as your the marine major said it's not driven by fear it's driven by a desire to be to take dominion to be obedient and um, whether we're talking about the immediate threat of a mugger or a home invasion uh, or whether we're talking about a bigger scenario where, you know, uh, in, in, in judgment, you know, anything that happens is judgment is in the equation. But whether it's the, the collapse of the electrical grid due to an earthquake or a, uh, an ice storm or whether it's a jihad or, or what, what, no matter, we have to be prepared to survive, you know, nothing says tactical Christianity like survival. 
yeah, you know, right. dead evangelists don't share the gospel. Right. Dead, you know, dead good Samaritans don't patch up people on the side of the road or feed the hungry. Right. So if you're going to do anything for God in this time and space continuum, you've got to be alive. Right. And 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 so, uh, it, it, and because we understand total depravity, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, we we have to be prepared. And, and again, all that we can do doesn't remove the wisdom of God from the equation. When you've done all you can do, the most skilled, tactically trained warrior still needs the wisdom of God to correctly assess the threat level and to assess the appropriate response. Uh, you know, some you know, all things are lawful, may not all things are profitable. Right. You know, uh, you know. We're talking about, you know, if you got a knock on the door, you, obviously you're you're sending up a quick prayer, but you're wanting to assess, hey, are, are these are these gangbangers or is this a SWAT team? Right. And so, so yeah, you may be prepared, but it's, but you obviously we still have we're not we're not uh, we're not uh, promoting testosterone over over wisdom and and, and, and prudence. No, absolutely not. And and I can, you know, I can personally attest, I, I'm sure you, you can too, that, you know, nothing for a sober-minded Christian, um, you know, noth- nothing should really inspire, <laughs> inspire you to maintain that sober-mindedness, um, you know, than the understanding of your responsibility uh, before God and before your neighbor. Um, so, and the and the the recognition that with that responsibility, um, you know, comes the potential for risk, the potential for uh, you know danger, and um, and so all of this should inspire in us um, a love for peace, um, and a, an absolute desire. You know, like in the essay, you know, it's either reason or force, and and the the fact of the existence of force should make all of us earnestly desire reason and peace we we should be of all men the most peaceable the most peaceable um and and yet as i said um i don't know if i said it earlier or not but uh, you know fundamental to all of this is the fact that god uh god exalts justice and righteousness um and and is even willing to to uh you know and allow the breaking of peace if it means that justice or righteousness reigns. And so, um, and I mean, that's the essence of judgment, right? And so it's, it's the prioritization of righteousness and, and, and justice. We're told in Scripture to be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. And real men love Jesus and real men have guns because real men have the tools necessary to protect their loved ones and the people in their charge and to love their neighbor. Right. Now, we have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of other tactical questions that come into play here. Okay, how do you love your neighbor when you see some muggers beating up uh, a couple on the street mm. and you're driving by? Do you stop and get out and just join the fray with your bare knuckles? Hopefully, you know, if you do, you better be Jeff Durbin. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, or Chuck Norris, but... Otherwise, uh, a, a, a woman, your wife, could stop 
a violent gang mugging and beating and rape single-handedly if she has the proper tools, the proper mindset, and the the proper training. Right. And so and so in a situation like that, you can you can you can immediately see where the application of this um, you know this principle of um, you know the prioritization of justice and, and of like you said the proper tools in the properly trained hands um, is an equalizer of the playing field and and it, it only when the playing field is equalized it only uh, downgrades the abilities of the aggressive attacker and it only improves the chances of the weaker defender. You know, God made all men, and Smith and Wesson made all men equal. Here, here. <laughs> so um, now we're going to, in in future episode of the War Room, folks, just let you know, um, we're going to be having an upcoming interview with the Godfather of Preppers, uh, r- world-renowned author, former U.S. Army intelligence officer James Wesley Rawls. Survivalblog.com. We're going to put in a plug. Over forty thousand essays and, and articles on various different things of aspects of preparedness, but again, we have different levels of of, of threat. You know, uh, you don't you don't um, carry an M4 with you strapped to the back seat of your Hyundai when you go to the to Walmart. So that's not the proper tool to defend liberty and or to love your neighbor. In that kind of a situation, by the same token, if you've got uh, a gang of un of unspecified number and strength trying to come in your back door in the dark, perhaps you know the uh, thirty caliber police special is not the right weapon right. to engage that threat with. Maybe you need a twelve gauge uh, Mossberg. By the same token, if it you know liberty was not won with a handgun, right. it takes a rifle round. Uh, that's what you call a battle rifle or a, a utility rifle. Uh, and, and, and in the and in and in the preparedness community, your handgun is basically what you how you fight your you use that as your tool to fight your way to your main battle rifle, which gives you superior firepower and and. And, and and makes you equal to thirty men, right? Uh, but again, th- it's not bravado. And and, and what what we would suggest is that if you're in a home where you don't have a handgun, you don't you don't you know you can't cross a ditch in two small hops. I don't recommend you know you just get a handgun and and let's see how we like it. It's not a question. You get to like it. You yeah. you must get to like it because when 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 you need to drive a nail, you must have a hammer. And there's nothing, you know, no other tool is going to, do, to take its place. So we've, we, Matthew covered this in, the, in his essay. Uh, I would recommend that every household have at least at the bare minimum uh, a handgun of large caliber, uh, 40 or 45, 9 millimeter if you're, you know, excellent at shot placement. Although I tell people that you know, fifteen misses ain't firepower, uh, you know, uh, and 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 a rifle either prefer either two two three or seven point six two or three oh eight if you're really serious and you reload, 
But again, it, and find, locate someone in your congregation who is proficient in these tools. You know, just going to the rifle range or going to the shooting range and putting on your ear protection and your eyewear and turning money into noise is not training. Right. Practice is not what makes perfect. Perfect practice is what makes perfect. Right. And, and so if you learn wrongly, then all you've done is reinforce those bad habits. And and, and so, and, 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 and would Matthew, in, in your congregation where you attend, uh, have you identified other brothers, heads of households in that family that are, that have your same mindset and are also equipped with the equivalent tools? Yeah, we have, um, we have, and, and we've done some training together. Um, you know, as in all things, it's, uh, sometimes less than, well, it's, it's always less than you'd like, you know. Um, but th- that is that is the direction that, that, that we are going. Um, you know, we're, as with every congregation, you know, it's a, it's a mixed congregation, folks of different backgrounds and, uh, you know, beliefs about things. But um, as with all of this, you know, the principle is, well, you know, you, you share with those that you can and you, you season with truth and, and leaven and, and, you know, expect it to take, uh, to take root. And so, um, you know, what we have done is, and, and this isn't, uh, a very, like a formal program or anything within our congregation, but there are other brothers, um, and, and some sisters who have been, uh, you know, who, who have done some training and who are, who are, you know, like we usually use the term switched on, you know, to some of the, the realities of the threats, you know, that we, that we face in, in society and, and who know the time of day, if you will. Yeah. There's a lot of areas, by the way, folks, this is just touching. This is just the tip of the iceberg. When we're talking about um, preparedness, we're talking about having adequate storable food. We're talking about having a source of pure water. You know, when the electrical grid goes down, you're not going to be able to go to your bathroom tap and get fresh water out of it anymore. Those pumps are down. And there's and the lights aren't on in Walmart, and your car may not be able to get anywhere because the roads are stalled or closed. Um, and and if you have food, the people that live around you are looking for it, and they will kill. Uh, evil men will, it, 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 and even good men, when they're faced with life and death, are going to be tempted to do what they would not otherwise wise consider for the sake of their family. And so you need to have ample food so that you're not tempted and you need to, then you need to have the tools to protect the means that your family requires to survive. That goes and also goes with 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 a modicum of of uh, of of uh training in basic first aid. I can't ima- I can't imagine how many people would not really know how properly to give CPR. Um and that's and and you can find those everywhere. So, folks, it's a mindset. If we believe in total depravity, we believe in God's judgment against wickedness, and we believe that we have a mission, and that is to extend Christ's kingdom and to uh, take dominion in His name. Then you connect these dots, folks. You're talking preparedness, and when you're yeah. talking preparedness. At the you know the 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 strong corner of that is um, 
self-defense and the kinds of tools that we're talking about. Uh, yeah, Bill, if I could, if, if I could, you know, throw this out there, um, you know, you ask any, any infantryman, um, you know, what's the first priority of, of work in the defense? Um, and he, and he, he should answer unhesitatingly security. It's, it's the first thing that you think about. Um, there are many other things that you think about, you know, um, you eat in the defense, you set up communications in the defense, you, um, you know, you make other plans in the defense, you sleep, you know, all these different kinds of things are important and have to happen. But the first priority is, is security. And I, I, I believe that, um, you know, a biblical doctrine of preparedness, um, is, is one that, that, you know, puts security at the, you know, at the top of the list, practically speaking, in terms of, you know, where the rubber meets the road. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and some, some of the things you mentioned, there's a little, a little grid or, or a little, uh, you know, several buckets of categories that I, I kind of put things in when I think about this. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's an acronym that I could never really come up with a good, a good acrostic for, but it's, it's, the way I say it is swafshis, you know, but it's it's S W A F S H E I S, and and it stands for security, water, food, uh, shelter, uh, health and sanitation. I put those together. Energy, uh, information, and then spiritual health. Those are not in or, order of priority in particular, but you know, if you if you start thinking through um, where you stand. Um, as a family, as a congregation, perhaps as an individual, um, you know, in whatever, whatever way in which you, you know, however you live, if you start thinking through, you know, how do I provide security for myself and my family? Um, okay. How do I provide water? What are my sources of water? How can I, you know, how can, how much can I store? How much can I, uh, what would be my sources of water if, um, you know, like you said, if the tap is turned off or whatever, um, you know, then think of food, um, shelter, and, and on down the line. You know, health and sanitation, that's your, that's your first aid, your, your ability to deal with trauma, with wounds, burns, whatever the case may be. And in mass death, you're going to have mass infection, which means you have to have some natural, natural or homeopathic means of disinfecting and are immunizing yourself, whether it be colloidal silver or iodine or, or uh, oregano oil or various different other essential oils that 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 can and, and nutritional to keep your body strong you know you, it doesn't matter how godly you are or how gifted you are when you're sick you're out of the fight right you know jim Bowie was on his back he didn't uh, he didn't die on the wall at the alamo right yeah and that, and that goes to another you know key element of all of this um you know, one of the nice things about this, if you, about how we consider, you know, the ways in which we prepare for contingencies like this, um, is that, a fair, you know, a lot of this is free. A lot of times this, you know, the preparedness and prepping community stuff, a lot of that stuff costs money. It certainly does. Um, but at the outset, it's free because it's about developing mindset, first of all, and knowledge and understanding. And then, uh, you know, secondarily, um, you know, the other big aspect of this is preparing ourselves physically. Um, you know, I don't, the bottom line is I, 
as a steward of God's resources, um, all of my stewardship is is transferred through this body that God has given me. Um, and you know, every day, um, <laughs> you know, the, the the effects of the curse are <laughs> increasingly uh, you know taking its toll on this body. And so, what I what am I doing uh, to to counteract that? What am I doing to be prepared physically? You know, to love my neighbor in the event that, um, you know, I see something happening to him or, you know, to, to be a durable worker and protector of my family. Um, this is a, this is a huge aspect. You know, you, you watch some of the, you know, the, the preparedness shows and stuff. Some of that stuff is, is, you know, kind of outlandish because you see these guys that, you know, you you realize that their health is probably such that, um, you know, they would keel over after the first day's work, you know, after, uh, you know, a pandemic or, um, you know, some kind of collapse happens. And um, so and that's another big aspect of this is, you know, we need to be preparing our bodies. We need to be doing it anyway. You know, our bodies are the temple of the Lord. This is what we use to work with. This is what we use to, um, you know, to carry forth God's, God's work in his kingdom with. And so we, we need to be keeping our bodies, uh, you know, in good shape, strong, durable, um, able to do the work that God has given us to do. Yeah, you know, it's just as much in, in, in this particular aspect of stewardship as well. Yeah, We're, I'm up here in the Rocky Mountains and we've got a, a, a storm starting to come through. I hear the thunder in the background and that doesn't make for good <laughs> w- uh, war room audio. But before we leave, let's just recap a couple things. Number one, nothing says tactical Christianity like surviving, and dead Christians don't don't uh, feed the hungry, they don't share the gospel, they don't build the kingdom. We live in a fallen world, and we need if we're going to self consciously act like it, we need and a and a nation under judgment. It, it seems to me self evident that we should be prepared. Now the question, the degree is going to vary from family to family. We're not trying to bind anybody's consciences here, but think seriously about this. I encourage you to check out survivalblog.com, James Wesley Rawls. Uh, he also has a great series of books, the Patriot series, which basically reads like a how-to. I mean, you'll want to read it with a highlighter. And uh, who was, what was the other Bracken that you mentioned? Yeah, Ma- Matthew Bracken. Yep. He wrote, uh, he wrote a series of former Navy SEAL, I believe. And, uh, um, yeah, you. If, if your if your listeners enjoy um, that, you know that kind of fiction, I would I would encourage it. It's good, uh, especially from a you know sort of tactical perspective about um, a lot of the a lot of the dangers we face, and and a, as well as um, from a military background as well. And I'll tell you, in in a, in, in a, a tough situation. The kind of knowledge that you're going to learn in that in, in literature and tools like that helps like that are going to far exceed what you can get out of a book on systematic theology. Right. You know, all truth is God's truth, and unless we're going to live like Pietists, we need to realize that that's not you know one is spiritual and the other is carnal. No, to the extent that we're be, we're self consciously preparing ourselves to be uh, to take dominion. And to obey the commandments, to provide for our loved ones, and to love our neighbor, that's, that's all spiritual. And, uh, and we need to think of it as such. Right. And uh, 
we could talk a long, long time about this, Matthew. I appreciate you taking the time to to join us and uh, and folks uh, hit Matthew up on Facebook if you have questions about this. You know, he's uh, everybody is not called to do the same amount of background research and study. Uh, there's going to be some in our midst that are going to be the go-to people for gardening and organic food and others are going to be the go-to guys for for uh homeopathic and naturalistic medicine how to how to heal yourself and 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 keep your family healthy um and there's going to be certain brothers who are going to just by virtue of their training and their and their uh their inclination are going to be more adept and skilled and versed in these kinds of tactical uh martial uh martial arts uh and uh you know um, you know, a, a Marine captain is, is a good place to start if you're trying to, to, uh, get your brain around, how do we start acting? And if, and if you just, you're bookish, well, um, and you, you, you think I'd, I'd be balanced. You know, we, we, we're called to live a balanced life and, uh, but we, we, we just appreciate you, Matthew. Uh, I, I, uh, my pleasure, brother. And and uh, folks, uh, we we hope that this has been edifying. Uh, it, you haven't been too shocked by this. <laughs> if if you if you have been shocked by this, then maybe you've misjudged what the Christian life is really all about. A little bit of shock can be a good thing. Amen. Well, all right. Well, we won't go out singing to the halls of Montezuma or anything, <laughs> but we will say, uh, God is always faithful. Amen. So I guess that means he was the uh, the proto marine. That's well, <laughs> yeah. Well, he 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 is the original and supreme semper fidelis. That is true, and uh, yeah, that's right. So always faithful, folks. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the War Room. Thank you for joining us in the War Room. Please enjoy the nation's rage, Psalm two, by my soul among lions. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete weekly lineup of seven distinct shows. You can subscribe now to your favorite shows on iTunes, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed on iTunes, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner financially with this ministry. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.